I could not be more excited to be joined here today with Brianne Dick. And I want to kick things off before we dive into Brianne, learning more about her and all of the golden nuggets that she's going to drop. I just want to share a pro tip for everyone who might be watching this live or on the replay. If you are seeing people on social media who like you're just starting to like crush over Create a live stream series like this, and then you can just message them and be like, hey, will you be on my show? Because I have been following Brienne for like months and harding everything she's been saying. Brienne, it really is such a, an honor and a pleasure to have you today. I'm so, you know, we, we did the pre-roll, like, you know, conversation before we hit record. And it was like, we should have just been recording from the drop, right? Because it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. Now, how do you describe what you do? Because I know that you help business owners at like such a deep and important level. This has been probably the number one challenge for me is to figure out mm. how to communicate what we do in a way that connects with people. The short and hopefully concise version is that we support progressive online business owners that can be service providers, consultants, coaches, doesn't matter. You're delivering online and you're probably doing somewhere between 300,000 to one and a half million a year. And you're feeling like this is great, but I'm working too hard. I'm like burning out. My team is okay, but they're not going to get me to the next level. And most importantly, you're not interested in just turning everything you do into a course or like sacrificing results in order to actually get where you want to go. You, you actually want to build a real business. And it's like, how do I get from where I am to a real business and a real company that is bigger than just me? That's yeah. what we do. I love this in so many ways. If that resonates with you and you're listening live or on the replay, just drop a one in the chat so that both Brianne and I know to follow up that we're hitting the right market here. One of the things that I love about you is you're so direct and I feel like you just don't have time to like go back and sugarcoat what you're saying. But <laughs> I, I know you again from afar well enough to know that what you're saying about actually being a real company and wanting to make a difference and feeling like making courses that don't really give strong results doesn't get you there. I know that this is stuff that you have seen so many other business owners live through. And it's not that creating courses is inherently like a non-impactful model, but the space is getting so saturated. And I can't tell you how many people I hear say like, it's hard to make sales. When mm -hmm. I do, it's hard to keep them engaged and actually take action on things. And I went into this buying a course about courses and learning all the bells and whistles because I wanted to make an impact. Mm -hmm. And now that I've done all of that stuff and I've announced what I'm doing, it feels like it should be doing more and more deeply. 
Do you have personal mm-hmm. experience with creating a course and it just not helping yeah. people the way that you wanted them to? Yeah, it's interesting because my background, I actually worked in post-secondary. So I, and it was a trade school. And one of the projects that I remember working on was how do you teach an electrician to do electrician stuff through distance learning, right? Mm. Like if you can't actually be there and show them how to physically wire something up, what's the alternative? And because it was a trade school, I love university. I went to university. I have two degrees, right? Like I'm a lifelong student. But because it was a trade school, you really had to walk away with practical hands-on skills. You needed to know how to be an electrician, how to wire a house, how to do these things. And so when I came out of that and I came into the online business world and, you know, everyone is talking about courses and this kind of thing, I found it really challenging to reconcile these two different experiences. Mm. And so actually the first place I started my business was like, I'm going to help people build better courses, right? In fact, I built a course to help people build better courses, which is like the whole MLM thing that happens <laughs> in the online world. It's like, yeah. But one of the things that I really leaned into when I was doing that work is like, how do we create courses or just experiences that actually get results? Mm-hmm. And I remember reading some research, which was looking at the predictors of customer satisfaction for learning experiences. And the number one predictor was you have to have good stuff, right? If you don't have good stuff, you're not going to be able to have satisfied customers. You're not going to be able to get them results. But the number two predictor was, is there access to someone to get help from Mm. an instructor or whomever that might be? And that was the number two predictor when I look at the online business world in general, I see that role being diminished so much, right? It's like, I want to build an evergreen course. I don't want to have to engage with my people. You know, I look at service providers who are like, I need to scale. Therefore, I need to stop doing the service and start doing this other thing because I need to get myself out of it. And the trick is that getting yourself out of it, there's ways to do that. And we'll talk about it. But the right way to do that is not to just remove the human element from the experience entirely. And so that's what I've seen like from my own experience, from clients' experiences, and just watching this industry for five or 10 years, there comes a point at which you need to, if you've removed all that human element out, you're going to hit this threshold where you might have people buying but we all know the bad mouth thing that happens about those courses where it's like they just threw information at me. I don't know. If you're okay with a 3% completion rate, which is the industry standard, mm. more power to you. That's not for me. I want a 3% incompletion mm. rate. That's my goal, whether it's a service offering or a program or a course or a group coaching, no matter what the format is, I want us getting people results, not just being there to make piles of money for ourselves. Yeah. This this reminds me of something that we talked about before we went live of this idea and you put words to it well cuz I have been thinking about this for a while. And I if you don't mind I'll add to what you said a little bit. It seems to me like there are three kinds of entrepreneurs right now. Mm-hmm. There are ones who want to build a lifestyle business. And then there are ones who want to build a company. And they care about making an impact. And then there's this third space that I'm seeing, and it's kind of in the Venn diagram of the others, but especially lawyers 
they're building like a business to support their family. And it's a kind of lifestyle, but it's not like I want to be on the beach whenever I want. It's Mm -hmm. let me create something so that I can be with my kids as much as possible. Do you, is that a lifestyle or is that a company? Is that kind of its own merged blend? It really is about the intention behind it. Because to me, if you're building a lifestyle business, you are prioritizing your own goals and desires above that of the company, Mm. right? So when it comes down to, do I take more time off or do I do what's right for the company? I'm not saying don't take time. I'm not saying we want to get to 60 and 80 hours a week, right? You want to have those things in balance. But if it's like, I want to work 10 hours a week and I'm okay with the business staying smaller as a result of that, Mm. that's more lifestyle-y for me. Whereas if it's someone who says, I'm committed to putting in the work. I don't want to work more than I have to. I don't want to burn myself out. I don't want to hustle. So I'm committed to putting in the support structure around me that's going to, that support structure is going to free me up. My team's going to free me up. The way we do business is going to free me up. Venture more into the company territory. And that's where I would put even, you know, family businesses, right? Where it's, or people who are in business because they want to create a better life for their family. Mm. You can still be, a family owned business yeah, and be running a business, right? I, I live in a small town and I walk down main street. And there's a lot of, you know, small family run businesses yeah, and they're still building teams. They're still hiring people. They're still having other people run the shop. Right. And some of them are even going to sell their business someday. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So they're still building a, a company, a business, because they're willing to put the structure in place around them that allows the business to grow beyond just them. Yeah. One of the things that I appreciate about what you do is, and I'm not saying this to knock anyone, but I know that there are a lot of experts out there in the online business space that in their marketing, sell the idea of a lifestyle business. And then once you join their thing, you learn the principles of all of it. They say, you need to aim higher. Let's create a company. And (laughs) And most of them have no idea what that means or how to do it. They think it means just start hiring people. Right. And I love your resistance there. (laughs) So that instead of just trying to like give people what they want and then expose this once they're in, you do such a good job in your marketing to just stand strongly in the space of here are the limits of being just a lifestyle company. And, and here are the benefits both to like the stability and sustainability of your business, but also to yourself, ironically enough, if you go in the company direction. I can't tell you the number of people that build lifestyle businesses and become victims of their own success. Yeah. And it's like, what lifestyle, what lifestyle? And it's because, I mean, especially in the online world, we're told that more sales solves everything Mm -hmm. and you should just hire people, right? Like those are the two magic bullets. You know, you you listen to some of the experts talk about, you know, what does it mean to scale your business? And I pretty much guarantee you, you go and you look at what they're actually teaching you. They're teaching you to either install a sales funnel Mm -hmm. and that's how you're going to scale, or they're telling you how to hire people you can delegate to. Which again, you need people on your team and you need sales if you're going to scale, but that's not actually going to free you up to have the experience you want to have. 
So good. Which I think leads us to, I forget what you call it, but the, the three structures. Yeah. Let's walk through those because this is just right. gold. So the visionary CEO framework is what we call it. The work that we do is all around helping business owners become the visionary CEO of their mm. business, right? Not the doer of all the things, not the heavy handed manager who's like being like a bully of a boss. I had one of those. Thank mm. you. I'm happy to move beyond that paradigm. It's about how do we actually set the business up so that it supports you instead mm. of you having to support the business all the time. So three elements, three structures that you need to have in place. Number one, you need to, and imagine this is a Venn diagram, right? So you got your three circles and they're going to overlap. Circle number one is profit. In other words, not just sales, but actual cash flow. You can sell a lot. And if you're spending more than you sell, you're not going to do very well. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, if you're bringing in too much profit, you're actually not supporting the people around you. And you're probably not creating the support in your business that would actually give you the quote unquote mm -hmm. lifestyle that you want. So profit, number one. Number two, results as in your ability to get more results for more people. That means selling to more people. That means reaching more people, enrolling more people. And it means actually delivering the goods mm. to more people, right? So it's the entire customer life cycle is what happens in results. And then the third component is team. We need the right kind of team, not just the right people, but the right way of thinking about team and structuring team so that we have people who are doing the right things of their own initiative and of their own accord to make the business grow. So those are the three elements. And what I think is so interesting about that is you will find many people in the online space who will tackle one of those three things, right? Right. You'll get the CFOs, bookkeepers, and accountants largely are the ones who talk about profit or Mike Michalowicz in profit first, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you have like that, they talk about profit and then you'll have another group of people that talks about how to get more results for more people. That's your sales marketers and course creating experts who want to sell you on their coaching programs or service providers, right? Agents, you know, Facebook ads agencies, they live mm -hmm. in the results bubble. And then there are some people who talk about building a team or they do recruitment or placement services, or they talk about, you know, how to have a team. And what I've found is that you can focus on those three things independently until you can't. <laughs> I want to highlight the conversation right now and say that this has all been good. When you started telling me this, this is where it gets really good. So everyone just lean into this part. So we've got okay. the three profit results and team, and yes. then you take it to another level. Yeah, because profit and results and team are fine. Like I said, if you focus on them individually, but the problem is that if you treat them as individual components, like if your Venn diagram is three circles that don't interlap, you're going to have cracks in your business yeah, and things will start falling through. And specifically, if your profit and results are misaligned, you're going to end up either selling a whole pile and having no money left over, or you're going to be hugely profitable, but you're not actually helping anyone. Yeah. Right. This is the classic, I need to grow my team to be able to get more results, to be able to bring on more people, but I don't have the cash flow to do it. It's like, there's a breakdown in the model there somewhere, right? Yeah. If you can't continue to grow profit and results at the same time, something is broken. Something's not working. You should be able to increase profit 
and get more results for more people at the same time. Mm. If that's not happening, you have a misalignment and that needs to be fixed. Okay. So that's the first intersection, right? It's, it's like, good. is my model scalable? And I'll just put in a note here and kind of talked about this before. We'll probably talk about it again. Having a scalable model does not mean getting yourself out of delivery and having an evergreen course that mm. runs on autopilot because you can do that highly profitable, but where are the results, right? Yeah. Where are the results when you just do that? So, And when you say you can get out of, do you mean the visionary or like a human being? There are people who will take it all the way to a human being being yeah. out of it. What I want for the visionary is I want you to be able to do those things, be able to do those things, but not be required mm, to do so those good. things. So good. And that actually takes us to the second intersection. Okay. Right. So we got results and team and it very often happens that you have your method, you have your process, you have your, whatever, the way you deliver, the way you get results, the way you sell to people. And then you have your team and they kind of are touching each other, but you're the go-between yeah. between them, right? It's like team and results aren't actually overlapping in our Venn diagram because the team is there to help you not to create the results. Yeah. So we need to take that team bubble and that results bubble and we need to overlap them. And that's the true meaning of operations. Not again, what the online mm. business world will tell you operations is, which is usually it's something about systems and automations and something like that. True operations is the way that human beings oh, that's so good. support the ability for the business to get better results for more people. And that means not just you, if you are the only person that is the primary way that you get more results for more people, if decisions have to flow through you, if you're the major client touch point, if going away for vacation means that you need to reschedule a whole bunch of calls, that means you don't have this team results intersection actually working. So the solution there is we need to say, what actually are the operations of the business? How can we do things differently and how can we get the right people on the team supported so that it's the team that's creating results, not me mm. that's creating results. So good. I love hearing all of this. I think this, this last intersection is probably my favorite. Yes. And it's the one that surprises the most people, I think, because they're like, initially it's like, how do these two things relate? Because the last intersection is between team and profit. And so a lot of people think, and actually I used to think this as well in the early versions. If you go back a few years and you look at early versions of this diagram, you would see that between profit and team, there was Profit per labor dollar is the uh, technical term for it, right? How much money are you making per hour that your team works? It's like efficiency, yeah. right? So people think that it, you know, scaling is about getting your team more efficient, more effective, right? And that if you have more people doing more stuff more efficiently, you'll generate more profit. That's true. Mm -hmm. And that only, that only accounts for how team impacts profit, not how profit impacts team. That's when I realized that I realized that actually the, the intersection between team and profit is culture. Because if you have the right culture, culture impacts how you communicate as a team, how and who you hire, how you assess performance, 
how you mm. compensate people, what kind of benefits and pay structure you have, and how you help people grow and progress. And those cultural systems, those cultural elements will drive how profitable your business is. The way you hire, you better believe that's going to impact how profitable your mm. business is. The way you empower people and give them responsibility for outcomes and then assess their performance, you better believe that's going to impact mm. your profitability. But vice versa, if you don't have the right culture in place, you'll never get the best from your team. You'll never have people who are engaged and committed and willing to really bring them full selves or not able to bring their full selves yeah. to work. Because that's something we see so often with our clients is they have great people, but because of how they've structured their business, because they've thought of their team as being, my team helps me rather than my team is here as part of the business and I am a member of that team. Mm. We end up, you know, they end up in this situation where it's like, yeah, I got these people, but they could be doing so much more. And that's where you need culture to unlock the genius mm. of the people you have on your team. So I do have a, a question that I think will be another longer answer that I'm going to love from <laughs> you. But one of the reasons why I was really excited about talking about this is Brianne confirmed with me that one of the issues inside this intersection between team and profit, so this culture intersection, is the problem or the thought pattern of, let me just find someone to fill this role. I'll pay them a lot of money and it will pay for itself. I'll get my time back. And I think that there are a lot of business owners, like established business owners, who just kind of lazily assume that oh, hiring more people, paying them a lot out the gate, that's just a nice, easy, abundant mindset outside of my comfort zone mm -hmm. thing that I can do that's good for the business. And then they end up not paying themselves mm -hmm. and freaking out about how they're going to make payroll and spending all of their time trying to figure out like I'm supposed to delegate to this person. Like have an example of someone who's in this situation um, and they were, they had a podcast, right? And so it was like all of the steps that went into having this podcast. So they had a podcast producer, they had the person who would turn it into a blog post. They would have the person who did the social media and, and all of those things. And what she said was, I'm spending more time coordinating all of those moving pieces and trying to make sure that this thing gets done then if I was just to do half of it myself, and of course, what made me laugh is this conversation happened in the Facebook group. And the solution that was proposed is just hire a project manager. So just hire more people to address the fact that you've got so many people that you already can't manage. Like mm -hmm. clearly doing more of the same thing is going to solve the problem. And I, I see this actually happen a lot with people who hire integrators or COOs or project, whatever the flavor of the month term is. Yeah. I don't know if you all know, but the term integrator comes from a book first called first was traction by Gino Wickman, and then it was popularized by rocket fuel um, mm -hmm. by Winters and Wickman. I take a little bit of responsibility for introducing that book to the online business space. I'm sorry, Thank everyone. You. Oh. <laughs> no, great book. But Wickman and Winters were writing to businesses that are about $10 million plus. Mm -hmm. Just hiring someone to come in and run your team or run your business for you isn't solving the underlying root issue that's happening, which is a cultural problem where your people aren't taking ownership. 
your people aren't responsible for the results. So you're hiring someone to make them be accountable to get mm-hmm. stuff done. And um, in the book, The 12 Week Year, Brian Moran makes the point, you can't ever actually hold someone else accountable. The only person that can hold anyone accountable is you, mm. right? And so we keep band-aiding by like, I'm going to hire a project manager. I'm going to set up a fancy system. I'm going to do this and that. When the actual solution is your people need to be accountable to the work that they're doing. And they need to be invested in it and empowered to get the result. Don't keep hiring more people to solve the problem that was created by the fact that you've got all these people who don't know what they're supposed to be doing. So good. So when it comes to being, by the way, I love, I want to pull out that golden nugget of read these business books. By all means, read them, but think about the intended audience. Yeah, It's been really great for me to have some people that I can lean on and I'm like, oh, I'm reading this great book by insert author here. And they're like, yeah, that's great. I hope that you learn good things. Just know that is meant for a business at this stage or this stage or whatever, because there are, it, it can be very easy for you to take some concept as gospel before your business is at a stage that that is meant for. Yeah, I've seen so many people have 12 people on their team doing $600,000 a year, spending 70% of their revenue on payroll, Mm. never mind on the actual rest of the business operations. Yeah. But it's not sustainable. It's not practical. Right. And this is the only industry where the numbers are so out of whack compared to everything. Like, the you know we're talking about business books there's um oh shoot what's it called now michael masterson uh ready fire aim the first stage he starts his first stage at a million dollars like before that you don't actually have a business he's he says your first profitable sale is the one that happens at a million dollars i love going and reading saster which is like scaling for for software businesses Mm. it's like real numbers real hiring all of these concerns. And then because I am who I am, I go and I read all these sources and it's like, okay, now how can I like interpret this for the online business world? So it's like, yeah, okay, you want an integrator. I get that. What you actually need is integration Mm. in your business. And that's actually those three circles overlapping. so good. Your business needs to be integrated. You don't need an integrator which is an expensive Mm. hire that's not going to actually solve anything. That's so good. So what tips or action steps would you encourage for a business that is seeing opportunities for delegation or extra help, but feels like they don't have the budget or projected cash flow to make that like an easy calculation? Well, let's think about those overlaps because the order that we went them through is the order that I recommend you think through your answer to that question. Nice. Because... First one, we had model. Actually, let me rephrase that. People often try and go the opposite direction, right? So they try and do hiring, which is a cultural thing. Yeah. Then they're like, I'm going to deal with the operations. And then I'm going to like figure out how to actually get the, the model profitable, right? Mm. Like they, they hire to create cash flow instead of creating cash flow so that they can hire. Yeah. Okay. So don't go the, don't go the opposite direction of what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to so start good. with looking at the model and in particular look at all the stuff that goes into how you deliver to a client. Hmm. Literally, I mean, write this down, like get a spreadsheet 
or find a team member who will write as you talk, right? But get a spreadsheet and write down, these are all the steps that go into delivery. Mm. Be painstaking with your detail. It will feel painful to do this. That's a good sign mm. because it's going to show you why there's so much pain in your business. Yeah. Right. If you write down like every touch point, everything that goes in, and then you can go and say, all right, which of these things is a bottleneck, is a profit sink, or are we doing because it's good for us, but it's not actually helping the clients? Because sometimes that happens too, right? Where it's like, we're doing these things and because we think we should, or because we want to, <laughs> but <laughs> I like that comment from Christopher. I did not come here to be attacked. <laughs> it's all love. It's all love. But yes, it's like, you know, let's go and, and, and figure out like what is not working in yeah. the balance between the results and the profit, right? Like actually evaluate. We, when we do this with our clients, we start with saying, if these are the steps in your process, how is this working for clients? Is it actually helping them get results? And how is this working for the business? Is it actually mm. helping you drive a profit and be in alignment with your values? Mm. Figure out if you're even doing the right things. Then once you've gotten rid of all the stuff that doesn't need to be there, then we move to operations, which is how do I do things differently? How do we do things differently? This is where it might be literally changing the way you do some of those steps, right? So instead of having one of our clients is actually a, a lawyer, Patrice Perkins, I'll give her a shout out because she's amazing. She actually did a thing where instead of doing one-on-one -on -one orientation and onboarding calls for her clients, and this is a lawyer, right? I want, I just mm. want everyone to recognize this is a lawyer. She actually started doing group onboarding with new clients coming in once a month. I love that. And like so many people, when I tell this, like, how can a lawyer do that? Like, isn't there confidentiality stuff? Yeah, we don't do the confidential part sure. during that. But it's like, these are people like her market is very, you know, creative, entrepreneur, startup, like, and, and that's an isolating experience for so mm. many people. And so she brings them into a call where it's like, you're not alone in this. You're not the only person who's going through this. Let's onboard you together. And so once a month, like at the start of the month, I don't know if she's still doing this, but this is what she had been doing. It's yeah. like, we're going to get our clients together. We can do the onboarding call. Everyone who buys during February is going to start in March. So we'll have our call in February to kick everyone off. And then in March, we're off to the races. So there's things you can do where it's like, how can we do things differently I love that. to be able to get these results? And that's something that we'll, we'll post in a comment probably when we're done. I've got an interview with Patrice okay. where Great. she shares a little bit more about this kind of stuff that she's doing. But how can we do things differently? How can, instead of doing one-on-one -on -one calls, could I use a form? Sometimes the form actually is the problem because then you have to go and follow up with a one-on-one -on -one call. It would be simpler if you just got them on a call in the first place yeah. and just asked the questions with a better agenda, right? So how do we take what we're already doing? We've gotten rid of the stuff in the model that's not maximizing profit and results and value. Yeah. Then we're going to go and do things differently to figure out that we're actually doing things in a way that is scalable that is going to get results. And then we can say, now who on the team is going to own the responsibility for making those things happen? Yeah. Because now you know that you're not going to be paying people to do stuff that shouldn't be done or paying them to do stuff that should be done in a different way. Yep. Right. And so people come to us and like, Brianna, I want help with hiring. It's like, great. This is a nine week program. We'll get to that in week six. And they're like, oh, but I just want to hire now. It's like, okay, you can. But in week six, you're going to find out the person that you should have hired mm. because mm. the person that you think you're going to hire is usually based on the tasks that are burning 
right? There's tasks that are burning. So you hire someone to do the tasks. Pro tip, the word delegate is a verb. That means someone has to do it. If you hire someone with the intention of delegating to them, you are going to have to continue to delegate tasks to them. Therefore, if you hire someone with the intention of delegating the painful tasks, you are putting yourself in a situation where you're going to continuously have to tell them what to do. Yeah. This is what happens when you go backwards around the circle. You hire someone, mm. then you figure out what they're supposed to be doing in operations and you have to tell them that. And then hopefully they're profitable at the end of it. Backwards around the circle. No, yeah. we don't want to do that. We have to say what actually is profitable. Then what is the outcome operationally that we need to achieve? And then we hire the person who's an expert who can figure out how to make that operational result happen. Cause I'm not an expert in all the things I'm good at a lot of things, but like, I'm not, I hire people because they're better than me. Mm-hmm. I hire someone to do our, like to, to do our marketing because they're a better marketer than me. So why exactly am I coming up with the projects that my expert in marketing should be doing for marketing? This is so good. <laughs> and, and one of the things, if I'm understanding correctly, and I'm, I'm doing some kind of logical next steps here, if we're following your logic here and we're, we're going in order, then it's not until we close the loop that there's that last intersection of culture. Yeah. And so for anyone who is thinking, all right, Joey, I feel like I, I, I have at least somewhat of an integrated business and I've got these three parts and I feel like I've made some progress it seems to me like culture then kind of becomes that like last puzzle piece that people say like culture over strategy, but once you kind of earn the right to focus on culture, then you can stay in that space of being like culture, 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 like you and me, like let's read Harvard business review all the time. Like that's a fun place to be. And I think that helps make sense why people tend to not care about that until they hit a certain level of integration. That's right. It's not relevant, right? It's not relevant until you get to a point, but it's also a situation where, you know, we talked about like, what does it mean to get yourself out of the business? Right. And this, it goes to like lifestyle versus company. Like, what does it look like to get yourself out of the business as a lifestyle business owner? Looks very different to getting yourself out of, you know, if you're trying to build a company, you're trying to get out of the day-to-day so that you can be focused on building a culture, leading people, coming up with new ideas, looking long-term, having a vision. That's what we call being the visionary CEO. Mm. And Joey, I don't know if you want to bring up that slide that we were looking at. Yes. We can talk about you. that. So this is a scorecard. I can We can also make this available to folks after because I know it's kind of hard to see on the screen. It's really itty bitty and tiny. Thank you. And it's very pretty. Um, It's very pretty. I like my (laughs) rainbow colors. (laughs) But what this is showing is the progression to becoming a visionary CEO. And I'll just read through like the top line since I know it's small on the screen. So um, on the left hand side, we have the different kind of core activities that happen in a business. So you have sales and marketing, which is the top four rows. You have product operations, which is the middle four rows. Then you have finance and admin, which is the bottom four rows. And then left to right, you have the spectrum from, you know, in the, in the first rows, I write sales pages, conduct sales calls, write proposals, et cetera, all by myself. In other words, 
I am the person doing sales. And if they don't happen, if, if I don't do them, they don't happen. Next, the next step in progression is my team helps me to write sales pages, conduct sales calls, write proposals, et cetera. This is the land where most people end up delegating, right? I hire people and they help me to do these things. This is where a lot of people get stuck because they think that delegation is the solution. But the next level that comes after this is I set sales targets and create a plan for reaching them and the team executes. And what I really mean by this is I determine what needs to happen. My team figures out how to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So I figure out what the sales target is and what our overall approach is going to be. The team takes care of the how and making mm -hmm. the how happen. This is incumbent. You have to know what your model and operations are before you can start empowering people in this way. Because otherwise, what are they going to do? What, what is the what? You don't know. Yeah. Then we have the level where you can even move. Green is what we call the level of strategy. This mm. is the level of, you know, this is actually the level of that an integrator or COO would operate at. Interesting. Okay. Right? That is super fascinating because like, <laughs> what does an integrator do? Blah, blah, blah. And there's a lot of confusion right now, especially with, I think, people who have identified that they might make a good integrator one day. Yeah. There are all of these questions of like, if you want to help other businesses or if you're looking for help, what is a administrative assistant look like versus yep. an online business manager? Yep. versus uh, an integrator. So I love yeah. this breakdown. Okay, so let's do this. I've, I've, I can draw on my screen because I have the ability to do that, which awesome. is awesome. So this is the level where you're doing it. You're doing it. Whoops, no, don't do that. I need to draw on this, not be editing it. There we go. Will you let me? Yes, okay. This level here is where you're doing it yourself. Maybe you're hiring some VAs or something just to do the light stuff. Mm -hmm. This is the level where you're hiring implementers. So these are your higher level VAs there when you hire uh, community managers, when you hire web designers, web developers, even hiring other attorneys, right? These are the people who actually mm. do the work. So like down here, for example, um, I do some client calls or deliverables and my team does the rest, right? So you've got other people who are doing work in your business. We call these, you've, you've hired implementers, right? Project managers are in here too because your project manager is still implementing stuff, right? They're the, mm. or, or the OBMs. OBMs are ones who create product ops systems and processes for the team to follow, okay? The next level is the level of management or mentorship. If you have a bad association with the word management, I encourage you to think <laughs> of it as mentorship. This is the level where you are determining what happens, but not how it happens. This is actually like an actual manager, not just a project manager who is kind of an implementer, strategist, et cetera, but they're actually hiring. They're actually holding team meetings. You know, higher level OBMs will start to fit into this realm. Okay. But the key thing here is that notice um, down here, again, I know you can't read it because it's small. There's words like ensure. I ensure the product ops teams creates and follows systems and processes. Mm. It's not I create and I create the systems and processes for the team to follow. It's I ensure the team creates the systems and follows them, right? So good. Subtle nuance, all the difference. That's because it's focused on the what. I set the targets. 
I set the rarities in schools. I identify the IP. I determine the needs. I have, you know, all of these things. I manage the team members, right? That's the level of management and that's the level of what. I'll throw in here as mm. well that this is when you start going from red to orange, this is the journey from mid six figures to early seven. Interesting. I love that. So thank you for pointing that out. And anybody who might just be hopping on live or somehow you're catching the replay and you're maybe midway through here, uh, Brian will, will make sure that anybody who wants it will have access to this and we'll share a link in the comments after the video is done. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I know it's super hard to read on the small screen. So we'll make sure you got it. Yeah, this is so this powerful is, though. This is the journey. First you make this transition yourself, right? So you get mm. yourself out of the day to day, but then the next transition is that you start hiring other people to be able to do this, right? You start hiring other people to actually manage your team, not just to project manage, but to actually hire, hold accountable, fire, manage your team, set their goals, all of that kind of stuff. That's when we get to actually the level where you need an integrator because an integrator mm. is all about the strategic direction of the business. Okay. This is a level that you're looking at three to 5 million before you're actually going to need because the level of leadership, which is what we call this, the leader level manages your managers. And if you don't have managers, then who is your integrator going to be managing? An integrator's job is not to manage individual contributors, mm. right? We're talking director level hires, right? We're talking director level, VP level. That's green. And that's the level we're talking about here. We've got a good question from LinkedIn. I don't know if this relates to what you're talking about right now, Brianne. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, larger scale is so relative, right? So the question is for larger scale operations, is there an integration of C-suite personnel that one could, or such that you could uh, eliminate? And I mean, larger scale operations, larger scale could mean a hundred billion dollar business. It could uh, mean a hundred million dollar business. It could mean a $10 million business. Sure. What I, I find is that if we think about this, and I'm going to draw one of my favorite things on the screen here, which is the visionary pyramid. And we think about these different roles and decisions that happen in a business. So these are this is just a, a visualization of the different colors. So we have helpers and implementers, that's gray and red. We have managers, which are orange. We have leaders, which are green. And we have the visionary, which is blue. And we'll talk about that in a second. Every business needs to have all of these roles filled because each of these levels is a different type of decision. Mm. Visionary decisions are about why are we doing this and where are we going? Yeah. Leader level decisions are about when are we going to do this or that? It's strategy. It's priorities. Manager level is what? What are we going to do? What is the outcome? Helpers and implementers is, sorry, how? Can't read that. How? Mm, how mm. are we going to accomplish that? And so all of these decisions need to be made no matter the size of the business. How are we going to do things? What are we going to do? When are we going to do it? And why are we doing it? Those decisions need to be made whether you're making 300,000 or 300 million, right? Mm. The question is, who is making those decisions? And that's where, as you grow, you want to be getting other people to be making these decisions. So you start, I'm going to clear off my drawing here. We're going to start. No, I said clear them all off. Thank <laughs> this you. is a great it's, tool. It's not going to work for me. It's a, it's a great plugin. It works on any browser page, which is amazing. Oh, nice. People like to just draw in 
drawn play. I don't know why it's not erasing. We're giving it props and it's not erasing. That's, That's not okay. Great. It's still great. <laughs> you know, and, but, and sorry, go ahead, Brianne. I was just going to say the point, the point is that as your business grows, you want to be getting other people making the decisions at each of these levels. So you want to get other people to be making the what decisions. That's what mm. this column is or the how decisions rather. That's this yep. column. You want to get other people to be making the what decisions. When you start hiring people in the orange, you're giving them control over the what decisions. When you start giving control over the when decisions, that's when you're hiring director level, VP level, even sometimes C-suite level. And then the top is the blue level, which is the visionary level, the level of where are we going and why are we going there? And you need to put in the other layers underneath you or else you end up with a Jenga tower where it's like, I'm going to pull myself out of the day to day and go straight to vision land. Yeah. And the problem is that you've just pulled Jenga blocks out of the bottom of the tower. And now they've all fallen around you and you're sitting mm. on the bottom of the pile with all the pieces around you. And that's why it feels like you're stuck in the weeds because literally you are stuck with all the pieces of the business surrounding you mm. because you haven't taken these steps up. And one final thing I want to acknowledge on this is drawn as a, a pyramid, not because it is hierarchical or based in power dynamics. It's really easy for people to see a pyramid and see a person at the top and a lot of people at the bottom and think this is a power dynamic game. This is typical power dynamics, corporate structure, et cetera. Yeah. It's not. It's about the frequency with which those decisions are made. How mm. decisions are made every day. There are a lot of them. That's why you need more people to do them. Okay. I right? love this. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to get vulnerable for a minute, share a story. And then yeah. I know that you can speak around it. So years ago, I was encouraged to create like a leadership structure for my team. Yeah. And we did the work of creating like a, like a department lead roles. And then integrator got super popular as a concept. And I was like, I need an integrator. And what we did was we created a box. We had a good fit in our company for somebody who could grow into that role. And we kind of moved forward with this understanding that like, this is an important role mm -hmm. and it will be like, one to three percent of this person's actual duties exactly and it's interesting because you know we we have big hopes and goals and dreams for next year even if we hit them we're still going to be on like well under some of these monetary benchmarks and yeah. it's been really interesting for when i'm in participating in mastermind conversations or getting helpful advice from someone who's taking a look at this stuff and they're like, Oh, Joey, like your integrator needs to be able to do this. Well, this well, this well, this well. And I, if she's watching, I think she knows that what I'm about to say, like she's growing great and the business doesn't need a strong integrator right now. And so it's created this kind of comfort zone where it's something that we're aware of. We're working on, we think that when we hit there, this will be a, a level, a leveling up and not a hiring yep. someone from the outside. Yep. And it, it's really helpful in taking the pressure and stories out of this equation. 
because I don't need mm-hmm. this person to be a rock star integrator f- for me to not really live in that role right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we don't talk enough about enough is we're building teams is we think about hiring people, as we said, you know, to do tasks or because we have work that needs to be done. But I think there's a whole lot of value in thinking about creating careers for people, mm. not just jobs, but careers. And so what you're going to hire someone today and maybe they're, you know, just kind of doing hands-on ops stuff, right? Yeah. And then they're going to develop and they're going to grow. This is why one of our cultural practices is progression. How do we help our team members progress and become better? Because if they become better, our business becomes better. Yeah. So how do we help our team members progress so that maybe then they become a project manager? Or maybe then they start having other people under them that they're coordinating and mentoring. And then maybe at some point they actually are going to be running the, you know, they're actually going to be a COO, right? Not the mm-hmm. title inflated version of COO that the right. business world teaches. And I do want to just caution on that, which yeah. is title inflation is a problem because we've had many clients who go through and they realize I need to hire someone. And I've given my marketing person, I don't know why it's always a marketing person. <laughs> Sometimes it's an ops person, but let's go with the marketing person. But I've got my marketing person and they were the marketing manager or they were my fractional CMO, right? And so they've got this person who is really an implementer, right? They're, they're not even a yes. manager. They're not even at that leader level because the business doesn't require it. And then what happens is they're like, the team grows. And so now they have like five people on their marketing team. Like, okay, now we actually need someone, not me, to manage those people and help make sure that that team is operating the way it should. Yep. And so, and say that this person that you had hired early on to be your marketing manager isn't the person who's going to fill that role, right? It's not something they want to do. It's not their zone of genius. It's not their skill set, right? We don't want to promote people to the level of their incompetence. We don't promote people mm. just because they've been there for a while, right? We have the right person for yeah. that role. But now you're hiring someone who's actually going to be the manager of sales and marketing. Do you have to like change the title of this other person? Mm. Are they getting a demotion? Are they getting a pay cut. This is why compensation and reward is one of those cultural systems. Because if you're hiring someone at a C-suite level or a manager level, and that's not actually what they're doing or actually the role they're fulfilling, what happens if you do end up having someone come in who to fill that role who's not them? Yeah, that's so, that's so well said. That is definitely right? something that Again, I think it's with the best of intentions that we're like, oh, let's make yeah. great names for our people. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's this, the compression of revenue scale in the online business world is about a factor of 10. And what I mean by that is that people think that the stuff that outside industry businesses do at $10 million in the online business world, people think they should be doing it at a million dollars. Even sometimes less than that. Yeah. But it's like, because our industry, the largest businesses in this industry are doing 20, 30, 50, $50 million a year, right? Like that's a really big online business. Yes. That is a very small business yeah. outside of the world. And yep. so our perception yep. is skewed. Right, We think that a $300,000 business and the things that we need at $300,000, we go and we look out there and it's like, oh, I should do that. That's what the $3 million businesses out in other industries do. Yeah. And so 
everything is skewed because of this perception. So we end up spending on the wrong things, hiring the wrong people, doing title inflation, and then wondering why we don't have the time or money to make it work. The reason you don't have the time or the money to make it work is because it's not designed to work for your business. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. Brian. I'm, I'm so glad that we finally got time to talk. And I feel yes. like this could easily go on for another two hours. <laughs> and we'll make sure that all of the the links and things and images that we've talked about will be linked up in the comments and the show notes for anybody who's like, Oh my God, Brian, where have you been all my life? First of all, follow her on Facebook, but is there somewhere on, on your website or on social media that people can go to, to download something or to book a free call with you? What does that look yep. like for you? Absolutely. So website is visionary CEO Academy.com. Y'all are web enough savvy to be able to navigate from the homepage. There's instructions on how to work with us and all of that. Awesome. And we also do have a podcast. Um, and if you go to our website, there's a nice little podcast link at the top. Or you can search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your favorite is. It's the Visionary CEO Podcast. And I recommend that you start with season one. Because in season one, it's a 10-episode arc. And in season one, we literally take you through those three circles and we talk about what you need to do to integrate them and to move through them in order, step by step. It's pretty much like, you know, the teaching version of what we do with our clients in our program. So good. So, so if you want the shortcut, just sign up for her program. That's right. And if you want to listen to the podcast episode and then sign up for the program, I'm okay with that too. Totally, totally. Uh, Brian, I I am I was really looking forward to this uh, and you just delivered. Thank you. Awesome. I'm so excited and I'm I'm loving seeing the comments. I will be continuing to be watching the comments and stuff. So if you've got questions or things you want to chat with me about, hit hit me up in the comments, drop me a DM, friend me on Facebook, whatever your preferred poison is, to continue the conversation. <laughs> so good. All right. Well, everybody, that'll do it for this week. I'll see you next Thursday. Bye, everyone. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Business Growth Advantage with me, Joey C. Vitale. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see y'all next week. Learn